think I can just tell you that whatever plan you have will fail. Oh, that's good. That's a good point. <laughs> that's actually an excellent point. Historically, parents have never been good. <laughs> <laughs> and every generation tries to make I it I think better. we're starting. So what? <laughs> we can't be bothered with this. We have problems to solve. We're crying. <laughs> Brothers, sisters, siblings, welcome to Penn's Sunday School, starring Penn Gillette. My name is Michael Goudot, Penn, Matt, Randy Rich, and I are broadcasting from Show Creator Studios south in Las Vegas. I think I forgot to say, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> William Shatner, back from space. Here we go. The Rolling Stones are no longer doing brown sugar. And a book on Japanese poetry explains all of comedy. Here he is, preaching love, Mr. Penn Gillette. I'm preaching love, and that's always true. But I think we're not the only ones who have noticed that what you do in the uh, introduction is never stuff we cover. Right. So why don't we start getting really interesting stuff to kind of grab people and pull them in and then just ignore it? <laughs> yeah, we don't have to even worry about trying to be accurate. Right, because we're not going to be. Right. So why would our stuff be half-assed attempts of stuff we might be talking about? Pen makes remarkable steps in his cold fusion experiments in his garage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Godot's nuclear program has expanded wildly. <laughs> the sun didn't come up this morning. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, that was the uh, George Carlin on uh, AM and FM. Yeah. The record that he put out. The sun did not come up this morning. Huge cracks have appeared in the Earth's surface. And something we're at war. Da, 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 da. These are the details after this. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Man, that was amazing when George Carlin changed, wasn't it? That was really crazy. From hippy dippy weatherman. <laughs> uh, from when he went from, you know, yeah. guy in a suit doing uh, straight stand up, they came out with a beard and long hair and just it changed. Uh, I mean, of course, from his point of view, he had already changed when he was doing that other stuff. He just admitted it. Right. But the, the admitting it was a pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. How have you been, Matt Donnelly? I've been good. I've been good. Now, you reported that you had auditioned yes. to be a clown. Yes. How's that going? I, I, I went through phase one. I auditioned to be a clown. <laughs> uh -huh. Rubbed him in white. <laughs> phase if, one. If you're wondering if I got any guidance on how to speak proper gibberish for Cirque, disappointingly, I did not. <laughs> oh. I was really hoping for some tutorial. That was day one. <laughs> on like what? Because I have another friend who who is... Uh, been in uh, the show Oh. 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 Which I call Zero, by the way. <laughs> For 19 years. And he, he said- No can't speak the gibberish. No. <laughs> he said that each show kind of has a different take on gibberish. And I thought, wow. Now, I, I was going to say for people <laughs> who don't understand- but I'm going to say it again. For me, <laughs> for me, uh, I haven't seen that many Cirque shows. I've, I've seen too many, but I've seen um, I've seen Mystir. Yeah, I've seen Kaka, mm -hmm. and I've seen uh, uh, Zumanity. She's mm -hmm. gone now, and I, that may be it. You didn't see? You didn't see? Love? I love, 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 love. Okay. What else? What I've seen? I didn't see O. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't see. Uh, I didn't see that. So I don't. Have you seen Fake Cirque La Rev? <laughs> I haven't seen La Rev. Oh, maybe I saw La Rev. I don't know. Uh, we got a Cirque du Soleil jacket here. There we but go. But anyway, uh, those are all I've seen. May I take now, your hat and jacket off. The clowns. The clowns speak gibberish. They right? do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I also saw Chris Angel's show, which was also Cirque, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think that they need uh, credit for that. <laughs> um, That's the perfect combination, really, yeah, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I saw the Elvis. I didn't see the Michael Jackson. Um, but uh, so the clowns, while they're working, speak gibberish. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to the Ringling Clown. Hey, get over here. What are you doing? Yeah. Come here, buddy. More pepper. I need more pepper. <laughs> That's how Ringling. I can train you how Ringling clowns talk. <laughs> I, I, I would have liked it. That's yeah. Well, that's it. I was put in charge of my own gibberish. They told you to speak gibberish and just had to do it. Yeah, I just spoke gibberish right now. You did. <laughs> it turned out to be like speaking in tongues. You just went hoo jibu hoo jibu hoo jibu. Now you know when um, when uh, Sasha Baron Cohen yeah speaks. Uh, Kasistani Langan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, uh, he's speaking, uh, he's speaking, I think, I believe he's speaking Hebrew, right? 
Oh, is that? Yeah. He yeah, does yeah, heavily yeah. accented Hebrew. And I know that whenever uh, Larry Fine of the Three Stooges has to speak a foreign language or Yiddish or some sort of um, gobbledygook, he throws, in, he throws in Yiddish. Yeah. You know. Well, I uh, just watched Luca with my children the night before, so mine was very Italian. Ah, what's Luca? <laughs> Luca's the new uh, Pixar movie with the, the fish sea monster people. I didn't even know that. I guess my, uh, my children have aged out, so. I think so, yeah. It's good. My kids both love it. Oh. Pixar does really good stuff. Yeah. The last one we watched was the jazz one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's really good. That was good. Yeah. Um, boy, that was good animation and good voice work and everything. Really good. Fun. Uh, anyway. It's fun. So did they give you other notes on what you did? Well, they ran me through a bunch of exercises, like, and this is what happens with a lot of circuit well, why, stuff. Why, 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 <laughs> Exercises. Why exercises? <laughs> Won't they just say, here's the role, can you do it? Boy. Are you funny? You and I think a lot alike, Mr. Gillette. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, that's my question. <laughs> I mean, you, you are to be a uh, uh, an understudy. Yeah. So you're not going to be creating anything with them. I agree. You are a puppet. You're going on to the hand of Cirque. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they want you to duplicate something that's already in their show. This happened This happened with my wife, too. My wife is now in two, two uh, variety shows mm -hmm. as well. She comes from musical theater, mm -hmm. where taking your own liberty on stuff is considered a no-no. Yeah. It's a yeah. bad idea. Yeah. And there is uh, the state. Now, this is not for us. Yeah. <laughs> but the stage manager's job yeah. in a Broadway show, musical theater, is to stop the actors from getting creative. Right. <laughs> They're supposed to lock the show yeah. where yes. the director wanted it. Then the director goes on to some other piece of shit that's going to fail. <laughs> and while the director's doing that, the stage manager stays there and goes, you know that big laugh you're getting in act two? Stop it. Stop yes. It. Yep. Yes, they do. Mm -hmm. And I've been on both sides of that equation as stage manager and actor. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I've been told people, but it gets a laugh is the most annoying thing to ever hear as a stage manager. Mm -hmm. But it gets a big laugh. Mm -hmm. And you're like, it's not in the script. And you're being paid to do the script. You are coming out to do uh, your song in Oklahoma. Yeah. And you're holding the hand of a monkey with its ass on fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's not in the script. The director didn't want it. But it's getting a big laugh. There's a bright golden haze on the... It's a It's great. That's actually what I... When I was an assistant stage manager for the Shades, the stage manager said that, you know, if you let your farts on fire, get a big reaction too. Do you want to do that in the show? <laughs> Wasn't the answer always yes? <laughs> and that's why it basically was like the Bellagio by the end of... By the end of our run, is everyone just coming out lighting farts on fire <laughs> to music? <laughs> Going off like the Bellagio fountains. Well, I mean, that's the, 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 that's the weird thing, right? So when you're in a musical and you do anything outside the thing, you get, you get railed on and you're like, what the hell? I mean, it's, it's, I think what I'm doing is good. And they're like, we didn't invest millions of dollars to figure out this whole thing for it to become a hit. It becomes almost like the spell. We're like, we don't know why. Mamma Mia works and this other one didn't. So you well, that, hey, if you if you ask me, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't you know. Really I go, don't know. I go full De Niro on that. I don't know. Well, that's it. Like, I don't know. Sarah was uh, in the original with your wife, mm -hmm. uh, the original run of Mamma Mia. Uh, um, very uh, successful. Very successful. And when the casino said, "Can you can you make it shorter than this?" and they said, "No," because we don't know why it works. <laughs> We don't know what makes people think this show is awesome. We don't think we can know what we well, can take out thing, of it. That's a thing that you can have, uh, you can get chills with. The, pick the show that you like the most on TV. Yeah. This is this is old old fashioned, old style, because yeah. the rules have changed so much. But pick the situation comedy you like the most on TV. Yeah. Then pick the one you hated. And then look at all the credits, because it's the same people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember reading an article about a comedy writer who was like, that show you hated and all the jokes you thought were corny, I read on this show and now you like them. They're the same jokes to me. Like I, I'm writing the same kind of humor, and I don't know what works and what. And doesn't. They, the same actors move around too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's really tough. It's all clothing. So in in the circus shows and variety no, shows, it's the same wardrobe people too. <laughs> yeah, it's but not... different colors. <laughs> um. They invest even more money than Broadway shows do. Yeah. And they're like. Because they have money to, 
you know, blast their founder into space. Exactly. That's the kind of money they have. <laughs> they have. Fuck it, I'll there's go to no, outer space money. There's no Broadway, hey, fuck it, I'll go to outer space money. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. not I'll go to outer space money. <laughs> Sondheim wasn't on that rock. No, there's no, space, <laughs> there's, no, there's no space money in Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> there's no space money in Broadway. Sorry, just write that down. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> there's no space we don't usually uh, have a title this early. But that's why, like, uh, uh, I, I, so when you come in, you're like, don't, don't, you've already figured it out, right? You spent a lot of money to figure it out, and you figured it out. And now you want me to play with it and make it my own? But they don't want you to play with it. Yeah. They want to think you're playing with it, and then have you not play with it. Right. I, and they're doing bits that, you know, this yeah. guy wrote yeah. 40 years ago. Benny LeGrand created them 40 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And then they've had, like, six people play that part since then. No! More than six, right? No, because uh, uh, they stay forever. One of the yeah. one of the, I wish I could remember his name. Dewhurst. Uh, uh, Boy, that wish was granted. Yeah, it did. Ta -da. <laughs> Why didn't you wish for COVID to go away, you asshole? You fucking asshole! You could have just ended COVID right there. You got one wish. God damn you! God damn you! Hey, but you I didn't know who even the cloud a, is. You didn't even get a big penis out of it. No big penis. No end of COVID. No end of. Starvation. You know it would have just been a chicken. No win with the <laughs> you know wishes work. <laughs> I'm lucky to have gotten away with the name and not be injured. <laughs> Dewhurst, the senior Dewhurst, not Nikki Dewhurst, his dad. His dad, Dewhurst, played the part, and he's 86 years old and has played it for uh, most of the time since Benny Legrand left the show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's still playing at 86? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which is, of course, why they're looking for Matt. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is actually true. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's it, it, yeah. And so uh, I I went around and uh, made because when you noises. go to a Broadway show, yeah. to be one of the understudies, yeah, they don't say, "Let's see what you can do with this role." No, they don't. Sing this song. <laughs> that piece of tape is yours. Stand here. That other piece of tape is not yours. That other piece of tape is yours. <laughs> don't go to any of that piece of tape. <laughs> <laughs> these are the notes you hit yeah no reason to slide up to them slide down <laughs> yeah, yeah. and none of that fancy vibrato that you can drive a truck through yeah you hit the note and go that's always baffling me when my wife was a swing was she would play you know um three different parts where each each different parts just to hit different notes for the harmonies mm -hmm. mm. you're like so on stage at night how do you not yeah which track are you on? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did this weird thing. Fifty Shades was such a bare bones, weird, flawed production. Uh, <laughs> may it rest in peace. Um, if only you had Dewhurst, it would have been still going. <laughs> well, I had to put in everybody as the assistant stage, assistant stage manager and later stage manager. I had to put in everybody so I knew everybody's lines. But then I was also the understudy for the lead. So uh -huh. when I was on stage with the lead, towards the end, I started like, mouthing oh. other people's words <laughs> or almost saying other people's lines because yeah. I was so used to being right. the other person <laughs> in everyone's scenes that I was going crazy. Now, I uh, uh, I work with a partner on stage who doesn't talk. <laughs> but when I worked with the Asparagus Valley Cultural Society yes. in the 70s, I had this uh, long speech that I did to uh, Weir Chrisomer. Yeah. And he would mouth my words. Yes. And it would make me crazy. Just barely move his lips while I was yeah. <laughs> I mean, so that the audience might think he was a ventriloquist. <laughs> it was that amount he was doing. It. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I, but yeah. To, to, to just get clarity on this. Sure. They honestly, they do or don't want you to change the part that you'll be playing when you go in. They, they honestly, it sounds like from my session, they honestly have, there are moments where I can choose I see. different reactions mm -hmm. to certain elements. There are obviously certain parts where I will do it. And they as, want that right. to be organic. It yes, has to they be want a flow to be inspired. Chart, I think. Yeah, they want- Because you do have audience people on stage. This, the, the newest production of it, they don't have audience members on stage. So you're not getting some from the audience and putting them in a cage and leaving them there? Correct. <laughs> wow. Uh, that now is a different, is a clown that that does that. Gets locked in the cage? Yeah. Because of COVID. Boy, that is not funny. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. It worked for the audience that, that I went and saw the show to study it. All right. 
it worked. Uh, I, 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 I'm not going to be the adjusting all these shows for COVID protocols is one of the hardest fucking things. So I don't, I can't imagine trying to figure that all out. Yeah, that is that is pissing up a rope. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, adjusting our show for COVID was crazy, and we know we have all the material in the world. Yeah, so better tell you to their warehouse and go. Hmm. We need uh, two and a half hours of material that just deals with noses. Okay, this, <laughs> this, this, this. We need bits where the audience members are. You know, we just we can just pick shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I get all that. I just, um, you know, there's something. To, there's something to being a clown, and I'm, I've, I've taken a few workshops. I'm not a trained. Well, you know, you're uh, talking to two people who attended Ringley Brothers Barn and Bear, the right. greatest show on earth. I, I contemplated a pants drop at one point. Uh-huh. <laughs> what could have helped you? <laughs> uh, what were the exercises they had you do? Push-ups. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of like, uh, can you wink with both eyes? Can you can you lift both both parts of your upper lip, your bottom lip? You know, do the string. When you bit. ship styrofoam, <laughs> what's it back to? <laughs> no, I mean they basically just set me up for you know try to try on different characters and uh, you know they give me different beats to to go through it or whatever, but just had to march through it. The thing about clowning is always about like the. I'm sure the listeners are really, really into this. Um, <laughs> being, being super present, right? Right, which I don't agree with, by the way. But go ahead. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And so for, for since I was in an empty theater, some of my exercises had to be adjusted for being in an empty theater kind of I, thing. And that's one of the things where, like, yeah, you go like, sure, that's present now. That won't be the case. <laughs> that, that won't be helpful <laughs> later. Well, if COVID <laughs> keeps going. <laughs> yeah. Matt's really funny when no one's there. He's killing you it in there by himself. You see this guy in an empty theater, which I believe was what Time Out New York wrote about my improv troupe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, but so so there's those elements or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. It's 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 a it's, this town is fascinating for that, right? Like I would never back in New York or in L.A. There's no way I'd be drifting towards any kind of clown based. <laughs> well, Cirque du Soleil, uh, I guess it's over, but I mean, for a good hunk of time, for 15, 20 years, they own this town. Yeah. And there's shows that are, the shows that are open still sell. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I went to a show on a Tuesday night or whatever, and I couldn't believe the, the, it was packed yeah. and I went back to see O oh and love on their reopenings because my wife's now a big swinger in town. So she gets hooked up with the tickets, mm-hmm. but it's, you look at these shows, you're like, wow, they're crazy, but. People are still coming to see him, and and also when you go see it more than once, you keep going. Wait, is that new or was that in it last time I was here? I can't remember. And that's like such a good thing for them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but that is exactly what made the Chris Angel show awful. <laughs> Cirque does not understand theatrical focus. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Let's throw forty people out there in bug suits and have them all do a different gag. Yes. Yeah, they don't. Uh, there's no. Um... And that is, it is really a different thing. It is really a different thing. And that's my problem with Cirque because I'm trying to judge them by my ideas of theater. And yeah. my ideas of theater is there is focus and there's a narrative. And their idea of theater is just immersive stuff. So anywhere you look, you see something. Yeah. It's not a temporal um, uh, creation. It is, a, it, is, it, it is a spatial creation. Right. It's not moving from time to time. It's moving from place to place. And yet, so, wh- I think what's really important in magic is moving from magic, place to sure. place. You need to be, <laughs> if you're looking over here mm-hmm. and that elephant over there has vanished, you they walk that elephant off as far as you know. You don't yeah. give a damn. Yeah. And also, you, you, you need to know every single second where the audience is looking. Yes. Every moment. Yeah. And what the audience is thinking, even more important, if you want to get really into magic, you need to know what they're thinking at any moment. And Cirque du Soleil doesn't give a fuck what you're thinking. Right. When you go to Cirque du Soleil, it's more like wandering through a museum or an installation mm-hmm. than it is a show. I mean, they claim that Ka has a plot. It doesn't. No. It's, oh, look at that wall's turning upside down. Isn't that something? Yeah. Well, look at that guy over there in a the bug suit. He's hopping. <laughs> you know, that's what you think. Yeah. And that is a whole event that people enjoy very, very much. Yeah. So I'm trying to judge, you know jazz by folk standards it's a different form oh totally and 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 
it is the kind of thing that when you have people come to town or whatever, you're like, they will walk out of there having never seen anything like that before. Yeah. And being like, wow. That's yeah. a, that's a and I don't even, I always want clear ideas and you're never going to get that from Cirque. Yeah. Never going to I don't think that that's the Cirque. goal at all. You know, yeah. Uh, it's as far from Tom Stoppard as you can get. Right. You know, and that's my idea of great theater. Totally. And also it was strange for me is to take this turn. I've been trying so hard, uh, to get myself out there as a magician and, and before magic and think about magic, it's very intellectual. And then this actually, this was not intellectual, mm -hmm. you know, and then, uh, I'm trying very hard to figure out how to be myself and really have my own voice and just be me while I do stuff. And this is not that at all either. Yeah. And so it was a very big shift of, of stuff that I'm like, as I'm getting older, I'm like, do I still have this in me? Like in college, we did. I, I skipped half of my theatrical movement classes and my teacher was like, do not miss the final. And we had to pick an animal and do a breakdown of the animal and its movement. Mm -hmm. And the final was to walk around the studio as that animal. The final exam. For an hour. And they wonder why there's not a Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. I'm spending whatever, 20 grand this semester. <laughs> and this is included. And I did. I went around uh, a dance studio when I was, you know, 19. 19? <laughs> 19. Maybe younger. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 19. 14. Yeah. As a polar bear. Huh? Walked around as a polar Good bear job. for an hour. <laughs> totally. And she was like, that was amazing. Gave me an A. <laughs> I was so blown away by my polar bear. bear. Anyone had ever seen. <laughs> and I was like, and so when I'm in this thing yesterday, I'm you like, you really didn't go much against type, did you? <laughs> you did not choose hummingbird. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that would have been just me passed out with an asthma attack. <laughs> incomplete. My grade is incomplete. So I was medically evacuated from my movement final. He was good at the eating three times his body weight. <laughs> <laughs> he did that part well. I mean, in three hours, he ate three times his body weight. We were happy with that. <laughs> but the hummingbird thing, not complete. Bear. <laughs> and, you know, but that's the, I was used to doing those kinds of things. And, like, um, as you get older, you don't want to be like, I can't do those things. You don't want to keep adding to things I don't can't do anymore, but that might be one of them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I went to uh, a, a clown thing where we were doing cherry berry, which is like a type of acrobatics, and I used to do this jump over a wall off the mini tramp with a one and a half and land splat on my face, flat out, and it it looks great. It's hysterical. It's loud. I went back and did it, and the second I hit that floor, every joint in my body caught on fire. <laughs> <laughs> How I knew you? that was the last time I was doing that. How recently <laughs> did you do that? That was probably 15 years ago. Mm. So I know I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> now I know it's fatal. It would kill me. I uh, When I was at Clown College, I did wire walking. Yeah. Tight wire walking. And now me I too. can't stand on one foot for more than three seconds. <laughs> so I make it a habit of putting my socks on while standing up every day uh -huh. so that I maintain that three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I have to rush. Nah, yeah, I'm trying not to rush. I'm trying to stand and no, put on the sock. That's and... gone away. I'm a little older than you. Yeah, that's, that's good. gone away. Uh, oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. Uh, and our stage manager has the exact opposite job to every other stage manager. Yeah. Because I say, you know, uh, yeah, tonight I'm, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do during this section, so stand your toes. <laughs> you, know, you, you know. Yeah, you guys have changed. You guys have done, you guys have thrown a trick in an hour before the show. Yeah. Yeah. And when you have this size crew uh, that, that you have for the amount of elements that you guys have, that's pretty palsy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have a whole, I mean, the, just, just the iMag guy alone, the fact that he works alone. You guys have multiple cameras and he has to coordinate all cameras at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. your version of do the chicken. Uh, well, exercise <laughs> where, yeah. where the whole crew pretends they're a flock of chickens. <laughs> like you're like, you're in the coop. Well, you know, um, 
our uh, the people that work with us yeah are so good it's it's breathtaking yeah anyone that comes in to work with us is amazed we had um big broadway director came in yeah who's done everything you know big broadway director and he was there with a couple of his friends and they came to see the show and after the show he said you know uh, your team that does the uh the iMag you know people that are all running all the cameras and doing the editing those guys doing a fabulous job i said guy they said what i said one person one person sets all the cameras runs all the joysticks does all the editing all at once yeah all the switching <laughs> they went no that's like a four or five person job we went no one person does that <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's great. Like I, I, you know, I uh, being in part when I got to be at rehearsals for you guys when coming out of the lockdown, mm -hmm. and being at the big group chats at the end of the rehearsals, I had no idea how many times there your whole crew with lighting and and everything is doing stuff with sound and all all the stuff that you guys are doing. You had all these little elements. You have so many people who are so good at their job that want zero credit. Yeah, it's just visible. Yeah. So like when you drop that hammer, you get that sound guy gets no credit, right? You know, like or, or you know. Well, also everybody we work with is doing magic. Yes, there's no job that they're not doing something sneaky, right? You know, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We, we cross over departments like crazy. Sound departments cheating, light departments cheating, stage managers are cheating. Yeah. Everybody's cheating. There's people that come out on stage and move props that they are faking and lying. Yeah. <laughs> what they're doing in the way they move the props. Oh, you're right. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They're moving things that are empty that aren't empty. Yeah. They're moving things that are full that aren't full. There's a, uh, I'm trying to, yeah, I don't think I was, there's an iconic routine mm -hmm. that Teller does. Mm -hmm. There's a lighting cue on that I had no idea until recently. Yeah. And that lighting cue does a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from an audience reaction, the audience just goes, holy shit. And if you ask any of them, they would not think there's a lighting cue on this moment at all. They're 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 really really good. And then there's all this other stuff when they just go on the headset and go uh, uh, pens off book. Uh, everybody uh, on their toes. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know what bit they're going to do next. Because <laughs> every once in a while, I you know I take control of the take the take the flight control. The night that you guys lost power. And you came back and did all of the, you guys, you guys basically had a show ready without yeah, knowing it. In the dark with no sound. Yeah, yeah. We did that. Was the whole crew as pumped as you guys were to do that? Yeah. They seemed to have fun. I mean, there wasn't much for them to do. <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, magic was running around getting the props that I would need to work in the dark and getting flashlights. Yeah. But our, that actually happened. Our light crew ran down with flashlights and pointed them at us. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> right. That's not really in the job description. You know, no. if you have no electricity, here's what you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, every other show canceled, we went. <laughs> we just <kept> <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jones, Jonesy played the piano louder. Yeah. You know, we just, we just went and did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. I believe, I believe we can do, we can do 90 minutes with no electricity. I think so too. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we uh, unless it's a bear, <laughs> unless you want to be a bear for an hour, I'm available for parties. <laughs> so you know, we were talking about getting laughs during. Yeah, that. you got too big a laugh. And I got too big a laugh. Remember, you were talking about how you guys took out the flag because the reaction was. Yeah, we we were used to do a thing. Where we burned a flag. It was about freedom of speech. Right. And after uh, 9 11, um, not right after, not cause and effect, but shortly after that. There became this wave of what I consider to be uh, phony patriotism in our mm -hmm. country. Uh, and uh, our bit, I believe, was real patriotism. I mean, I have, I have a philosophical difference yeah. with how the flag is dealt with. And when we waved the flag at the end, it got a huge amount of applause. And the bit was supposed to be introspective about what, what it means to have freedom of speech and be American and what symbols mean. And when it got that big applause, I felt like I was, you know, let a, let's have all the veterans stand up. <laughs> let's yeah, wave yeah, a fly. Yeah. It felt like it was happening. Yeah, when you move to Branson, it'll be very useful. <laughs> so we got, um, it was one of the biggest reactions on the show, and we cut it the next night. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm riding a six-foot unicycle, and, and uh, I have to have someone come up and pick up the knives off the floor and hand them to me one at a time. Mm -hmm. So the guy comes up and hands me the first knife, and I take it from him, and I'm swinging the knife. 
crazy <laughs> around his hitting face and scaring him and hitting the mic and scaring the hell out of him. And I say, you know, okay, hand me that next knife whenever you see an opening kind of thing. And then I go, oh, hold on. This is this is too dangerous. Hold on. And I stop and I put a mask on and then take the knife out and start swinging it wildly again. <laughs> oh. Too much of a laugh on taking uh, that mask out. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can kind of feel like, um, they think I'm against the mask. I did the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, during the fire eating, yeah. I have a hunk where I go, if you think this is cold fly- fire, I'll come down there and stick it into your eye. Yeah. But I'll put a mask on first. Yeah. And I thought, that's a cute little, no, no, it's not a cute little thing. It's a political thing. It's a political thing. It's, uh, it's, I certainly hadn't intended it, but they're like, yeah, you tell them. Yeah, fuck the mask. No, 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 no. It's just a joke. Yeah, it was a joke. It's, it, it's, it's, it's not just a joke, but it's a joke with a different point. Right. Yeah. The point is, this is a different kind of safety. Right. The point is not, this is not safety. Yeah. And that's, that's the part that, yeah. that's, that's a nuance yeah. that I, I was unable to communicate. It feels so weird. So I cut it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to be doing an anti-mask or an anti-vax joke in our, uh, in our show. No. That's no, just not. Definitely not. That's just not going to, I'm not going to feel good <laughs> about, uh, I'm not going to feel good about that. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Blinkist. You, you guys know about Blinkist. Oh, yeah. A little bit. You know, uh, the idea that you have, uh, well, they do both. I mean, Blinkist is really, really great. Blinkist takes um, books, nonfiction books, ideas, and condenses them down into what they call blinks. So you can learn stuff really, really fast, okay? You can have it all, really. They say you can't have it all, but that's totally not true. With Blinkist, you can have all the most important ideas and takeaways from the world's top nonfiction bestsellers, all in a fun 50-minute reads or listen. Use these blinks to get inspiration, learn more about books you'd like to read next, broaden your knowledge, and get new perspectives. Blinkist takes top nonfiction books like, you know, like, like the Harari stuff. Yeah, you know, which is yeah. many, many hours. Pulls out the key takeaways and puts them into 15-minute text and audio explainers called blinks. With over thousands of titles in 27 categories, plus shortcasts, shortcasts, which are blinks for podcasts, the Blinkist app gives you the knowledge you need in the time you actually have. I got to tell you, when I need to work, you know, I'm, I'm putting some juggling in back into the show on the road. I got I to gotta tighten up the chops. And I go out and I you know, put on the headphones or, or use a little uh, boom box. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, uh, in 15 minutes is a good amount of time to practice. Also, I learned from a book. And I got to tell you, their condensation of the uh, of the information is really beautiful. Because I have listened to Blinks on books that I've read, which is a really good test. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they do a really, really good job. You know, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, White Fragility, Factfulness, uh, Enlightenment Now, all these books I read. And uh, the Blinks on them are really, really wicked, wicked good. Uh, also really good for commuting. I have about a 20-minute drive to work. It's really good. I, I, they also suggest here, you know, making breakfast cooking, which I don't do. <laughs> it's a really good thing to have uh, on in the background. And the Blinkist shortcast, your ability to, I'm, I'm really anxious, you know, eager to see um, Blinkist condense one of our yeah. podcasts to the- yeah, Probably going to be less than 15 <laughs> minutes. Matt does a pretty good bear. That's about it. <laughs> Matt gives good bear. What does that mean? Uh, yeah, that's, that's our Blinkist. But Blinkist is really, really good. It's it's a great way to get uh, broad information um, on books that uh, you probably won't get around to reading. Mm-hmm. And you got that information there. It allows you to talk about it, think about it. Uh, you know, it's more than you're going to get from a review of a book. Right. You know, you, sure. d- you don't get enough there. It just is right kind of in the pocket. Right now, Blinkist has a special office just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Pen. To start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off of a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash P-E-N-N. To get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash N. It's very, very good. It's it's a really good thing to... Uh, to learn? Uh, it's a really good thing to learn. You, you learn stuff and you get, uh, yeah, you get it together. So uh, cool. check out Blinkist. You really should check it out. It's pretty mm-hmm. good. And the free trial is, is really great. You know, I realized uh, 
the the other day. You know, people ask uh, all the time, why is comedy in threes? And Eddie Gordetsky said, um, you know, funniest man ever. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Gordetsky said, it's got to be three. Yeah. Just two to establish the pattern, one to break it. It's yeah. very simple. It's a really nice way to put it. But then I was reading this book. I think this is from Jane Hirschfeld's book. Uh, I love Jane Hirschfeld's writing about poetry and about especially Japanese haiku. Mm -hmm. She's written a few books at Ten Windows and stuff like that. She's great. One of my favorite writers. Um, and I, I really love this. This is from her book. A well-known Japanese poet was asked how to compose a Chinese poem. The usual Chinese poem is four lines, he explained. The first line contains the initial phrase. The second line, the continuation of that phrase. The third line turns from this subject and begins a new one. And the fourth line brings the first three lines together. Exactly a joke structure. Yeah. A popular Japanese song illustrates this. Two daughters of a silk merchant live in Kyoto. The elder is 20, the younger 18. A soldier may kill with his sword, but these girls slay men with their eyes. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Wow. And I was just really interested reading that, that one of your joke structures is uh, is also in four. And that is the, um, the, the two lines setting up your thing, one that looks like a non sequitur, then another that brings that together. Sure. Which is, which is you know, which is uh, uh, very close to a, to a lot of joke. Yeah, just say, that's structure. a joke structure too, right? And we're going to kind of like jazz the elements of it, but yeah. yeah. And then I also, uh, there was a great joke called the silent debate, which is usually told as a uh, Jewish janitor in, uh, in the Vatican when a priest comes in and they have a silent debate. And one of them is talking about there's one God, but there's also only two God. There's the, the, yet there's a Trinity, and they're holding up fingers and stuff. And and there's the two points of view on that. And what I was really surprised at is that is also a Buddhist uh, story, which I'm going to read you this: trading dialogue for lodging, provided he makes and wins an argument about Buddhism with those who live there. Any wandering monk can remain in a Zen temple. So you have to, you can only stay in the temple as long as you can win in terms of arguments, which is a, that's not the way Motel 6 runs. <laughs> if he is defeated, he has to move on. In a temple in the northern part of Japan, two brother monks were dwelling together. The elder one was learned, but the younger one was stupid and had but one eye. A wandering monk came and asked for lodging properly challenging them to a debate about the sublime teaching. The elder brother, tired that day from much studying, told the younger one to take his place. Go and request the dialogue in silence, he cautioned. So the young monk and the stranger went to the shrine and sat down. Shortly afterwards, the traveler rose and went to the elder brother and said, Your younger brother is a wonderful fellow. He defeated me. Relate the dialogue to me, said the elder one. Well, explained the traveler, first I held up one finger, representing Buddha, the enlightened one. So he held up two fingers, signifying Buddha and his teaching. I held up three fingers, representing Buddha, his teaching, and his followers, living their harmonious life. Then he shook his clenched fist at my face, indicating that all three come from one realization. Thus he won, and so I have no right to remain here. With this, the traveler left. Where is that fellow? asked the younger one, running into his elder brother. Well, I understand you won the debate. What? Nothing. I'm going to beat him up. <laughs> Tell me the subject of the debate, asked the elder one. Well, the minute he saw me, he held up one finger, insulting me by insinuating that I have only one eye. Since he was a stranger, I thought it would be polite to him. So I held up two fingers, congratulating him that he has two eyes. Then the impolite wretch held up three fingers, suggesting that between us, we only have three eyes. So I got mad, started to punch him, but he ran out of the room and then ended it. <laughs> Just a straight joke. Yeah. That's nothing but a joke. And it's being held up as a Buddhist teaching. Yeah. Which I really love. Yeah. I, the silent debate. <laughs> so uh, you cut out the mass joke. 
in your show. I, yeah, I had to cut the magic joke. Because <laughs> it was getting too big a laugh. Too big a laugh. You try to explain that to that? people. You try to explain that to people. George Carlin used to talk about how he would take out, uh, this is an entirely different reason, he would take out laughs because he was building up so much that the audience would be tired and he wouldn't get laughs later on. Oh, my gosh. So he would hold back so they could rest and then come back in and hit harder. Otherwise, this show wouldn't end strong. Wow. <laughs> you just get tired. It's I, like I had heard that about Cosby, but really, I suppose that's inappropriate to mention. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, Cosby, Cosby talked about that, too. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't understand a lot of what he was saying. I was, I was, <laughs> You're a little woozy. A little woozy. That's also why Martin retired. What's that? That's also why Martin retired altogether. What do you mean, Martin? Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Because he got too many laughs? Because the crowd was too big and out of control and... Oh, right. That's true. Yeah. Well, that was because of his fame more than the actual act. Although I got to tell you, I saw Steve Martin at the Latin Casino in Camden, New Jersey for about 2,000 people right after he hit. He was really good. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy good. That was the thing about Steve Martin. You know, people that came on Saturday Night Live yeah. were, um, were fairly experienced. They had done lots of improvisation at Second City. Yeah places like that, but none of them had the chops that Steve Martin had. So if you went to see any of these Saturday Night Live people who didn't perform very much, but if you saw them, you were seeing mostly what they did on TV. Right. And Steve Martin, his first record and his stuff on Saturday Night Live was the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. He'd been working solid, grinding for 10 years. You know, yeah. he had all his chops together. So, you know, you could say to Steve Martin, um, oh, we don't want that show. Do another one. And he would go, okay. You know, he had another 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, and he also had this this real incredible sense. He knew who he was, knew the characters. It wasn't like, you know, we're going to do the Coneheads now. You know, it was he really had the death. We were amazed. We were just amazed. And how he just owned that room completely. I mean, really, uh, at a level, we also saw the Latin Casino. Teller and I also saw um, uh, Rickles, right? You know, yeah. Sammy Davis Jr. And Steve Martin was at that level. Yeah. And you did not expect that from Saturday Night Live people. Yeah. Who were not at that level because they were predominantly actors. Yeah. And Steve Martin was a variety artist. I mean, even though he didn't do much juggling, he did some much magic. He did some. His vibe was of a variety artist, stand-up comic. Yeah. His vibe was not a improv sketch actor. I love that when we saw him a couple of years ago after the show backstage, he was talking to the Steep Canyon Rangers about the jokes in the show. Yeah. He was still working on the show. Steve Martin still does those basic things that we all try to do to try to make things work better. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Really great to see that. Yeah, he's, he's, he's Steve Martin's really, you know, whenever you want to, uh, whenever someone wants stories about people in show business that are assholes, after everybody's told their story, I always try to bring up Steve Martin. Say, oh, by the way, Steve Martin, polite, kind, skilled, hardworking. I've never heard a bad story about him. And also, like, a lot of his bits hold up. Yeah. Like, there's not stuff that goes like, oh, different time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's really true. also a, yeah. that's really the, true. It is most it's, delightful thing about Steve Martin was that when I met him, he said, "Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Steve Martin." Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? There was no ego. Was, he always, every single introduction, yeah. he uh, he said, uh, "I'm Steve." Just you know, no chance that he would assume yeah. that you knew who he was. He just a wonderful person in every single way. You know, and you read his book and you know that he had uh, a lot of private tortures, a lot of things bothering him, but that's not what we're talking about. No, no, no. You know, we're not saying he's not flawed, he doesn't have problems. We're saying that he follows all the rules of politeness and kindness. Yeah. And that's a, that's a pretty great, and you know, B.B. King. Yeah. If you want to yeah. tell musician stories, B.B. King. You're never going to meet a nicer person than B.B. King. And when you start going down that list, Rickles, Bob Newhart, Willie Nelson. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. right. The list Charo. of people, Charo, that aren't <laughs> assholes is pretty fucking long. Yeah. 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 So that's why those stories pop so. 
and you tell a lot of those stories and then you finish and you just, I just feel really guilty. Like I've misrepresented show business. Definitely. I mean, most people are really nice and kind present company excluded. (laughs) (laughs) I pointed out all the time, but people just want to know that their celebrity that you worked with is an asshole, not Mm -hmm. the opposite. (laughs) And it's amazing. I point out now openly how quickly they glaze over when they, when I start telling kind stories about the people I've worked with, (laughs) I kind of go like, do you see how quickly you lost interest? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, there are, there are stories about Jay Leno, uh, Jay Leno's kindness that are, that are overwhelming, you know, really would be an amazing story. You would tell about a guy that owned a pizza place and, it's, 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 you know, it's Jay Leno. Yeah, we talked about that. Uh, what was the book you read with uh, Celine Dion? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, talk, let's talk about love. Let's talk about love, I think. Yeah. Um, you, you, you have put me in a strange place where, like, y- you've told so many great and kind Jay Leno stories. Uh-huh. And Jay Leno's in the out crowd, right? Like, Jay Leno's the kind of person that kind of people like to make fun of Jay Leno. Yeah, yeah. And I find myself always in being like, I, I just have a couple of Jay Leno stories that are about him being really good. <laughs> and also on top of that, uh, you can talk about, uh, at the Tonight Show, he got a little hackish at the end and stuff like that. Yeah. But I'll tell you, if you see Steve, if you see um, um, Jay Leno, if you see him tomorrow night, you know. Doing stand-up. Uh, doing stand-up. Uh, you'll pass you, out. You won't find anybody around you that's not laughing their asses off. Right. And you'll be laughing your ass off, too. That's, yeah, and that's like uh, the thing. I definitely, moving here from New York, kept that New York snobbery with me. And then obviously with the Conan O'Brien versus Jay Leno thing, you had to declare sides. Conan O'Brien gave everyone their first gigs in New York. You yeah, know? sure. So, so uh, the loyalty yeah, was there. And, and Conan is also on that list. Oh, I don't yeah. know one unkind story about Conan. Right. Uh, er- everything about Conan is sweet and smart and good. And I don't know anybody who spent time with Kona that doesn't say, yeah, yeah, good guy to be around. Yeah. You know, they're, they're just on, on that list of stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. And it, Leno, uh, when he was back before he got the Tonight Show, when he was just doing stand up, he was so incredibly funny that uh, I didn't know what else he could do. You know what I mean? I mean, he's clearly not ever going to be an actor, mm-hmm. and he is the funniest guy I have ever seen live. Yeah. What else is he going to do? He's the top of the world. And then he got the Tonight Show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's what's crazy now is people talk about like, you know, the, the, the big, big stand-up hitting 80s, big stand-up hitting 90s. Yeah. This is the time, the present time, where it, sure, it seems very hard to be a comedian, but, but uh, you can make more money at the top of the rung of stand-up just doing stand-up now. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, before his, his downfall, Lucy K was basically like, if he was doing a television show, it was for fun. He knew he'd make more money doing stand-up mm-hmm. than he would actually doing a movie or a sitcom. And that wasn't the case back in the day. You did sit, you, you were so great at stand-up, you got a sitcom. Yes, Seinfeld made more money yeah. on the Seinfeld show than he did doing stand-up. Exactly. And yeah, time, yeah. times changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, you know, one of the reasons time changed, that uh, TV became less money. TV became less money. And you got, uh, you know, it became, uh, TV at the time of Seinfeld, was go to space money. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> I could go to space. Yeah, I could have gone to space after after his last couple seasons. No problem. Yeah, once, <laughs> once, it, once it sold in. Uh, yeah, but I want to I want to bring this up because it's exactly on topic. Did you watch William Shatner? Yes. On of the CNN footage yes. of him coming back from live. space. Fantastic. Holy shit! I didn't see it live. Godot is better than me. Uh, yeah, I know. I, yeah, better than me too. Um, I got up. I knew he was in space. <laughs> I have always considered William Shatter to be a dipshit. That's why I was watching. <laughs> dipshit. Shatter might blow up. And um, <laughs> and I talked to James Spader. Okay. Right. I, I talked with James Spader. And uh, I said to him, what is William Shatner like? Is he in on the joke? Is he not in on the joke? What's going on with Shatner? And Spader answered me. He said, I worked with him on, uh, on whatever that- Boston Legal. Boston Legal for whatever that was, four or five years. Yeah. He said, went over his house for supper many times, had lunch with him most every day, talked about our families, got to be good friends. I have no idea. <laughs> no idea whatsoever. I have just dismissed William Shatner completely. 
I bought into the all the jokes about him. Mm-hmm. I've watched him watch people do impersonations of him, and he just seems to have no clue what's going on. He came back from that 30 seconds in space. Yeah. And Bezos, I mean, we don't want to judge from this thing, but in that clip, I, I've met Bezos, and he, he was fine to me, and I enjoyed his company. He seems like a dipshit in that. He's spreading champagne around and screaming and... But maybe that's the way you went. Somehow they didn't plan on it being this press thing, it seems to me. Right. Because certainly you would have said to those folks, hey, guys, keep it down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep it down until we're done talking to Shatner. Then we're going to go party. You're right. You're right. You're right. And also other people's reaction. I guess that was it. I see the world that when something that heavy happens, I would see people with champagne and screaming. And that is not the way I react. Right. You've all seen me in yeah. very exciting situations. Uh, I I don't react that way. I'm not a woohoo <laughs> woohoo guy. Right. You know, I'm not a woohoo, and I'm not a champagne guy, and I'm not a I'm not a celebration guy. Right. You know, if after we finished a show, you, you know, a real important show to us after our first Saturday Night Live, you know, where we went over really well and it was a big step in our career. Tell and I were not high fiving. And hugging each other. We're each pensive in our dressing rooms, you know. Pensive is the way I react to, you know, the opening night uh, off-Broadway where we got the rave review in the Times turned into a big celebration, except Penn & Teller didn't join it. Right. We were completely out of it. So I was very, very focused on Shatner, yeah. who I have never identified with in my life. I've never said, hey, Shatner's, you know, we, have, we share a soul. Yeah. I've never said that. And Shatner fumbling for words of what it was like to see the earth right. down below. Um, fumbling for those words that we also in, in, in you know Mike Collins' book. Yeah. Uh we have uh we have all that fumbling for words and the profundity of mm-hmm. of of the, the fragile, you know, God's blue golf ball uh sitting there in the black of space. I don't know about, you know, about billionaires going to space. I don't even think they're really going to space. They're going up high in a rocket. <laughs> I mean, two miles. There's a whole level of this that is bullshit to me. Right. But my cynicism completely melted away. And my opinion of Shatner had to completely crumble. Yeah. You know, I've, I've built up an opinion of Shatner over 50 years. And all of a sudden... He did not fit in that box, which is a pretty wonderful thing. Yeah. Pretty yeah. wonderful hey, thing he's to be not reminded. A goofball, is he? <laughs> you know, and I've even met Shatner, and that, that didn't break through then. But man, champagne is popping around him. There's celebration all over. And he's just saying, I just saw Earth. I just saw Earth. You know, now those yeah. aren't the words he's saying, but. Um, that was your best impersonation ever. <laughs> uh, that was really good really amazing and everybody it was hip saying everybody needs to do this yeah and i I, mike collins you know and i've read a lot of books about space um but mike collins just goes uh, there was somebody and i forgot who it was in the um 20s or 30s that said the first time we got a picture of earth from space the entire world would change Mm mm-hmm and uh, Mike Collins, of course, knows who that is that said that. <laughs> and uh, he said that there was that moment he says to NASA, the whole world is in my window now. Yeah. He says that. That's one of the things uh, Mike Collins says. And maybe one of the most profound things any of the astronauts has ever said. Right. Him seeing that frame, that, you know, that, that blue marble just floating there that the atmosphere being so incredibly thin you know yeah. just barely the skin on your hand you know that's that yeah that that incredible where we're orbiting when they orbit is just so close to the earth yeah and to be able to look down and see that i mean I, we've all seen that picture you know i, I believe taken by mike collins it might have been it might have been apollo 10 also at Apollo 9, but I'm not sure. But the first picture that we all see blown yeah. up, and when you realize that there are no borders at all, and that uh, there is 
one fragile, incredibly fragile planet. I mean, uh, Mike Collins says in his book over and over again, they kept asking me for a word to describe Earth. And the only word that keeps coming up is fragile. Wow. Which is, which is amazing. And once he said it, you kind of go, wow. And when you see that picture with just black around it, black, yeah. nothing, nothing, nothing. And this glowing ball of there blue. is a border. <laughs> There's one. Yeah, it's one border. <laughs> and uh, I don't know whether I misjudged Shatner or whether that's the kind of profound change you get. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know if you can send a shallow dipshit to the edge of space and that shallow dipshit comes down with some profundity. Yeah, I mean that. That's an incredible, yeah. incredible thing. Uh, by the way, I don't believe that. I said, no. I said, I said. <laughs> That's that. why everybody has to do it. <laughs> I said that for. I said that for a joke. But, yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, uh, it's amazing, and I, and I think it is really unfair to judge the others around there. Although impossible not to. But <laughs> yeah. uh, unfair, but impossible not to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he changed his legacy forever with that speech. Yeah, we will. We will. Forever remember him differently because of it. Right. Yeah, ninety years he's old. He's a lot closer to Captain Kirk than we thought he was. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> you go, wow, you kind of are, aren't you? Hey, that was cool. Yeah. When I was in uh, science class in high school, our our uh, my science teacher told me something that made me really think about the Earth differently. And they said if you took a basketball and dipped it into a bucket of water and then took it out, the water that's still on there is how deep the oceans are. It's nothing. It's just so thin. Wow. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. But the Shatner thing, and now, you know, someone, you know, uh, Perry told me, you watch the Shatner thing. I was like, I'm not, yeah, I really <laughs> want to see what Shatner has to say after he goes up on a thrill ride. That's, that's really going to be important to me. What he says after he's been blasted, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> and watching it, man, it just shut me the fuck down. Well, you've been to rocket launches. It's scary. Oh. It's scary 10 miles away. Yeah. If you were sitting on that, boy, that that's a moment. You know what I mean? Surviving that, having that go well is already incredibly profound. And then you go into then you go into space and go weightless and look down and see the whole world in your window, which you, I, I don't believe they did, but they get to see the pretty good know, spot of it, yeah. Pretty good spot of it, yeah. A fine vantage point is what they explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'd go in a second, could you? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Nope. <laughs> I would not. I would not. I I just think I don't care about the danger. I don't yeah. care about the blowing up. I care about the if I feel like opening a window now, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's only a couple of minutes of that though <laughs> in yeah. this flight anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I get. Uh, I don't like. Uh, uh, if you told me I couldn't get out of my car. <laughs> <laughs> And your car's pretty nice. <laughs> you know, um, uh, Nathan Santucci, who is the yeah. director of covert activities, he is a caver. He does spelunking. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, he, does, he explores caves around Vegas. Pass for and, me. And there is a place called Nate's Crack. They now call it Nate's Crack, <laughs> where Nate went in and could not get out for eight hours. He was stuck, unable to move. He couldn't go forward and couldn't go back. And they had to bring in people to get him out of there. Holy shit. He was stuck in the earth. Nate's crack. <laughs> and I talked to Nate about that and went, ah! Yeah. <laughs> and they went, no, no I, knew, I knew they were going to get me out. And it was just a question of time. Eight fucking hours? <laughs> While they work around him with jacks and stuff to... I would be insane. Yeah. I would, I would have, you would have gotten a crazy man out of the dirt. <laughs> My friend James Miller, remember Fan Man? Fan Man yeah. fell down in a cave and got hurt and had to be rescued. And it took him about 10 hours and they had to put him on a stretcher and strap him on and then drag him out of the cave, which just seems really scary and awful too. I've been, uh, I've been strapped to a stretcher. Uh, also not pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a crisis situation mm. after having my ribs kicked in and being spit on right. for a stunt that went bad. Uh, <laughs> right. And uh, I did not, uh, I did not enjoy it. This is the asparagus one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the asparagus pens unicycle jump for life, which ended up being 
for death. Be, be on a, on a. <laughs> but yeah, hooray, William Shatner. And hooray for us for getting another point of view on a person, which yeah. is, I guess, what this that space launch is all about. We got more to talk about. We got to talk about Fool Us. I did the Planet of the Apes podcast. Uh, I'm wearing a, a heart monitor. Oh, yeah. I'm wearing a heart monitor. I saw it the other you know? day, yeah. Yeah, sexy. Yeah, cool. Sexy. And uh, that was Ben Sunday School. That was Ben Sunday School. Cha-cha-cha. You want to become naked. Ow! In case you didn't hear the start, here we go. Would you go to space, Matt? Ah, uh, I'm really on the fence. <laughs> Would you go to space as a bear? Yes. <laughs> and I try to like open a can of weightless coke. Like a bear at a, at a dumpster in a national park. Just put it in your mouth and bite it. <laughs> you know, we love you, Matt. Get your computer out. Oh, you're right. You got anybody uh, <laughs> you got anybody you want to thank? I He's do. sitting he was in bear mode. I was like a bear. I can, <laughs> bear has no one to thank. <laughs> you know how we you always end the show with you, you know we love you? Yeah. To me it sounds like good you know we love you, and I like that. <laughs> I enjoy the end of every show. You know who I love? Matthew Rausch. Crazy Cat Lady Scoop, Nick Hemsing, Music Man, Jamie Thrasher, Rachel Hawkins, Mark Smith, Jake Schneider, Pete Hoke, Doug Hirschberger, Jeremy Davidson, Robin Garnett, Ovi Dimitrian, Jeremy R22, Winter Ryakowski, Allison Sage, and Kristen Kledick. Kledick? Kledick. It's, she's corrected me many times. I think I got it right this time. Oh, good. <laughs> How do you say it wrong? Kledick. Ah, oh, Kledick. The accent is on the dick like dick, even Thank if it's spelled D-E-K. The accent is on the dick. How many times have I said that? <laughs> Today?